Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me here. Let me adjust this. I would undo my mask, but unfortunately, it's all caught up in my mic, so I don't know. I'll be micless if I tell you to take it off, so let me see. I'll try here. Good. All right, perfect. All right, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tim. I am a, uh, in my second year as a district license, uh, learning on my pathway to ministry. And I have been given the honor to preach today, and uh, I'd like to thank Pastor Brian for that opportunity. And it's great to see you all here. The last time I had the opportunity to preach, I was preaching to an empty sanctuary, and that was uh, very interesting for me because I'm kind of an interpersonal person. So today, to put us in the mind of where we are preaching today and where our passage is and what our, ministry, our, our mission is today, I've asked my friend Leon to come forward and perform a song that he wrote during our time together at the Passion Play. Let's go ahead, Leon. Have a seat. <clears throat> who was the disciple who said I loved him so, yet thrice he denied him before the rooster crowed? Who were the high priests and teachers of the law, eminently accusing him of things that others saw? Who were the soldiers that mocked and beat him down, laughing and accusing him, O king, where is your crown? And who was that soldier that made that thorny crown, then placed it on my Savior, and then he forced it down. Who were the soldiers that spat upon his face, condemning my dear Savior and the whole race who was the soldier who speared him in his side blood and water ran forth as my savior bled and died and who were those soldiers that gambled for his clothes while blood and water ran down from his side and to his toes Could I have been the soldier who mocked and beat him down? Could I have been the soldier that made that thorny crown? Could I have been the soldier who speared him in his side or gambled for his clothing while my Savior died? Who was the man that hung upon that cross, asking for forgiveness for all that are lost. He died so willingly for the likes of you and me to bring us opportunity to live eternally. 
He died upon that tree, conquering death with finality, and rose upon the third day to be with you and me. Could I be the one for whom he cried? Could I have been the one for whom he died? Yes, I can be the one, and you can too. Just ask him for forgiveness and believe he died for you. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves us. The Bible tells us so. Thank you, Leon. <clears throat> Who could I? Let's meditate on that for a second as I open us up with prayer. Father, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for bringing us all here together, even though we are not all here together. Some of us are from afar and some are online, Lord. We thank you that you've blessed us with this opportunity. We thank you for being this person who died upon that cross for us. Lord, I ask that you will send your Holy Spirit to descend upon us today as we take this message. Open our ears to what you want us to hear. Open our hearts to what you want us to learn. And open our minds to what you want us to remember. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Such a powerful song that Leon led with us today. A personal take on the adventure that we've been on through the last three weeks. Today's passage is about a time that takes place about a week after all this has happened. The apostles have now hidden themselves in a room. Perhaps where not too long ago it was the same room where they shared their last meal with their, their, their Messiah, their Savior, their Lord. A time of celebration. They were in this festival of Passover where they were celebrating them being saved from Egypt. And now they're celebrating again and they're sitting in this upper room eating this meal. But this celebration ended up being a time of mental anguish, a time of pain, a time of mourning. This was not a normal celebration. For not three days ago, their best friend has now died. He was supposed to be their Messiah. <clears throat> The apostles had locked themselves in a room, and the reason they had locked themselves in a room was because they were in hiding. The, the governors of the law and the power of the law did not want these guys to tell that Jesus had risen from the dead. So they locked themselves in a room, and anybody who proclaimed that Jesus was alive was going to be sent to prison. So they locked themselves in a room, and all 11 of the apostles were there, all except for one, which was Thomas. And as they're talking about this, and they're hiding because they don't know what to expect, this being appears to him. And he says, in John chapter 20, verse 19, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. 
Receive the Holy Spirit. Forgive the sins of all who have sinned against you. And withhold forgiveness from them that have not. And then disappears. The apostles are meditating on, on this and trying to figure out what was this that they had seen? What is this? What is this message that the Lord has sent? So Jesus wants us to teach people on how we forgive each other, but how to forgive them, but I don't understand why he just disappeared like that. They're confused and they're trying to figure this all out, all except for Thomas, because Thomas, Thomas wasn't there. Now Thomas, in John chapter 20, verse 24, it says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not there when Jesus came. Thomas is nowhere to be found. You know, everyone mourns in a different way. Some scholars and commentators made the suggestion that me, Thomas may have been one of those who liked to mourn alone. So he kind of disappeared off on himself and went to a place, a place of loneliness instead of the togetherness of his group. This is where I believe the devil started to plant seeds of doubt and disbelief upon Thomas's heart. We know this happens because how many times has it been when we disappear out of our books and out of our devotionals, when we turn our backs on God, or not really turn our backs on God, but step out of his picture for a while to try and mourn something that we get these ideas about our beliefs. And this is a very familiar thing because it would happen to Jesus. What happened to Jesus when he disappeared off by himself? He went up unto the mountains, 40 days of fasting and praying, and the devil appeared to him and said, Lord, surely you're the Son of God. Turn these stones into bread. Throw yourself off this hill. The angels will catch you. And if you truly bow, are the Son of God, bow down to me and I'll give you everything you want. So if our Lord and Savior felt this same temptation and this same form of doubt, do we really have to hold that against Thomas? How many of us as Christians hold that doubt? Finally, after a couple of days, Thomas decides to go back to his crew and ends up with all his friends. But remember, they are locked in this room. Thomas does the secret knock, gets inside this room. They start talking, and they start praising and telling Thomas about this exciting experience that they had a week ago. Jesus came and told us his message. Thomas is like, yeah, yeah, sure. And they're like, no, Thomas, really, you've got to listen to it. You know, customs and beliefs in, of that time have different beliefs where people, when they were mourning, would sometimes see apparitions and see ghosts, so to speak. So maybe Thomas is thinking this in his head, oh, you guys just seen that? Spirit of Jesus, it's not real. You guys have been locked up in this room a little too long. Maybe you've been uh, drinking a little too much of that celebration wine. Right? And they keep going on, oh, Thomas, this is real, this is real. You've got to believe us, Thomas. You've got to believe this. And then Thomas, maybe he starts thinking about it, and he goes, nah, and he starts doubting his own beliefs. We know not too long ago in the book of John where John the Baptist had these same doubt when he sent his two apostles out to find Jesus and said, Jesus, who are you? Are you the one that we're supposed to be looking for? John the Baptist, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, the one who was supposed to set the way for Jesus, was doubting Jesus also. So maybe this is all starting to play minds on Thomas's mind. He's starting to think about this thing, well, if John the Baptist doubted Jesus, maybe he really isn't the Messiah. The Messiah that was supposed to come was supposed to bring up this great army and this huge 
army and destroy everybody that opposed Christ or opposed God. But our Messiah didn't do that. It's a week ago, we're celebrating. He comes running into Jerusalem. We're ready to get on our horses. We're going to celebrate because we're taking over the world. We're celebrating Hohanna, Hosanna, all oh, the rest of Messiah. But three, not even four days later, he gets arrested, thrown in jail. He gets beaten. He gets whipped. And then later on, he gets crucified. And then he dies. This is not the Messiah that we were expecting. Our Messiah was supposed to raise this army and, and get rid of all these heathens that are against this world. But these apostles are still going on to Thomas saying, Thomas, this is Jesus, he's back. Finally, Thomas gets uh, fed up about the whole thing and says, you know what? Until I see the, hand, the hands in the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Could that have been you or I? Does that sound like someone who is full of faith? Does that sound like someone who is defeated, unsure of what is going on? Sounds like someone like you and I. But we are not alone because of Jesus, because just because we are Christians, we do not strive away from doubt. As Leon was singing earlier, who was the soldier? Who was the one that spat upon his face? Who played dice for his clothes? Could that have been you? Could that have been I? Followers of God have been struggling with doubt ever since the beginning of time. We think of poor old Noah. Take 300 years to build this ark in the middle of a desert for this huge flood that's coming. Tell me there's times in that 300 years that he wasn't doubting God? Or how about Elijah, one of my favorite prophets? He just called down fire from heaven, destroyed this altar, destroyed all this water and all these meat and just flooded this water with the fire of heaven. But then he hears in the back of his mind, oh, King Jezebel wants you killed. So what does he do? He takes off running. But not only does he run, he ends up running faster than a chariot and up to this mountain and hides in the cave and says, God, are you real? Dude, you just called down fire from heaven. And now you're toting this? For eight days, Thomas had been hearing about this great experience. And then he said, unless I see the nails in his hand, and I see the finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Remember, the doors are locked. We're all in fear. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears again. And he says, peace be with you. But this is a different peace be with you. The last time Jesus came as a peace be with you, it was a time of celebration, a time of, com of uh, calmingness, a time of uh, encouragement to the apostles. But this time it was geared directly towards Thomas. Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put your hand in my side. It's me, Thomas. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus is stating right there loud and clear, the thing you fear the, mo ha the most has no power over you. I defeated death. I have come back, and I have completed my mission, and through my mission, you are saved. So this moment of weakness, this moment of disbelief, this moment of 
defeat. Jesus says, trust me, believe me, I am here. All of a sudden, a light bulb comes off in Thomas's head, and, Jesus, and he remembers the time when he questioned Jesus a little bit earlier. We already know that Thomas had a history of doubt when he questioned Jesus, when Jesus said, I'm going to a, to a place to prepare a house for you. And Thomas asks him again, in John chapter 14, he says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can you know the way? I will go and prepare a place for you, and when I come back, I will take you with me. Thomas remembers this all of a sudden. And what does he do? Everything makes sense. As the Father has sent me, I even so, I am sending you. What does Thomas do? He falls to his knees and cries, my Lord, my God. Thomas was immediately filled with, without doubt, this, everything just disappeared. This confidence rebelled back into him. He had no more need to mourn, no more need to fear. Thomas had this moment of weakness, this moment of defeat and brokenness, but became stronger by turning his eyes towards Jesus and saying, my Lord, my God. I'm going to get a little bit real here, you know. Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I don't doubt. I have, ha I have faith and believed in God ever since I was a little boy. But I struggle with doubt. This is one of my biggest weaknesses. And it's kind of funny when Pastor Brian asked me to preach, normally he lets me choose the topic that I want to preach on and I feel what God leads me to. But today he said, Tim... I want you to preach on this chapter. And the reason he said is because it's a week after Easter, this is when this event takes place, and I know it's something that you struggle with. You have overcome so much in your life, but you struggle still with doubt. You know, the devil has been playing me ever since I received my call into ministry. You know, I have, doubt, I have doubted my call, I have doubted my relationship, I have doubted my wife, I have doubted my kids, I have doubted my family. I've even doubted a couple times where I've even doubted my life. Why am I here, God? Did you really call me? You know, a few years back, I, uh, I really felt that I received this call to this internship in Texas, a six-week internship to Texas. And I was excited about it. The guy down there was all excited. He's like, yeah, bring your family down. You guys can camp in the church parking lot. You can help us out. It's all involving with street ministry and evangelism. That's right what you like, Tim. And I'm like, oh, this is perfect. This is, my God. This is God calling me. So I uh, talked to my wife, and I said, hey, Sharon, we're going to go to Texas. My kids are all on board. My wife wasn't, too. She goes, no, I don't think it's the right time. And she goes, you know what we need to do, Tim? And I'm like, what's that? She goes, we need to call our circle. Now, our circle is our most, fear, our most respected Christian friends. She said, let's call them together and let's pray and see what God says. So that's what we did. We called our circle together and we had this prayer session. And everybody said, no, it's not the time for you. It's not the time for you. What are you going to do without work for six weeks? And all this stuff, right? But the ironic part of this story is, the day I was supposed to fly out to go to this internship, I lost my job. And then for six weeks, I couldn't find a job anywhere, no matter what I did. And the day I was supposed to get back into Calgary, I got a job. Does not that plant seed of doubt? I doubted my call. I doubted that maybe that was God was doing. But I didn't think it. God used that as a lesson to me. 
and said, Tim, trust. But what you did, you did all the right channels. You surrounded yourself by your friends. You surrounded yourself by your prayer group. You know, but ever since that day, I've bounced from job to job. I've come close to losing everything I've ever worked hard for and struggled. Like I said, I've come close to losing my life, my, my wife, my kids, my family. And even preparing for this sermon today, I was struggling deeply with it. I was so badly convicted. A couple weeks ago, I was about ready to throw in the towel and call everybody off and say, you know what, Pastor Brian, I'm not doing this. I'm done. This whole ministry thing is not for me. I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm stuck. I'm doing it. But then my daughter, Jada Lynn, comes into my, my office one day, and she gives me a book, and she said, Dad, you've got to read this book. And it was a devotional that I gave her about four to six years ago called um, Jesus Freaks by DC Talk and the Voice of the Martyrs. <clears throat> and she had put aside a little passage of the story of Thomas. And this book describes that after Thomas had this experience with everything that he'd gone through and how much he doubted God, and through this moment of defeat and doubt, and then when he realized that Jesus was still there with him, he, his life turned around and he became a solid uh, martyr. And so much more that about 70 years after this experience, he got called to the province of Chaldina, India, where they were worshipping a sun god. And when Thomas showed up at this temple where the sun god was, he destroyed the temple. He destroyed their altar. And the priests and the high priests of the sun god got extremely jealous of him and sentenced him to death by fire. So they threw him into a furnace, covered him in burning red-hot steel plates and threw him into a furnace. And nothing happened to him. He stood in this furnace, surrounded in this metal coat of hot metal. And he's, I could just see Thomas there praising and thanking God and saying, thank you, God, for allowing me to go through this. Well, the high priest got so jealous of him that they all started picking up spears and javelins, started throwing it at him. One of the spears punctured his side, and he fell dead. To have the faith of that, unless I see the hands with the mark of the nails in his hand and the side, and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas spent years, three years of his life, following Jesus, learning, living, noticing everything about him. We Christians doubt that God is here sometimes at our time right now. Whether it's through sickness, through health, through anger, through time, signs of the times. Let's look at the last year and a half. How many of us Christians have actually doubted? God, what are you doing here? What is your plan? You know? Why have you let it, this happen? But how does Christ respond to Thomas? Have you believed me because you've seen me? Many Christians can attest to knowing that God is real. I personally know that God is real and have seen so many different things. And I've met a lot of people who have actually questioned me and saying, how do you know God is real if you can't see him? And I always say, I have to believe in my faith and my hope. As we were singing about today, about hope and faith, that Jesus is hope, that God went to prepare a place for us. This is what we believe as Christians. 
You know, through my many years of volunteering down at the Passion Play, I have seen tornadoes circling around a site. I have seen lightning bolts crashing behind on a perfectly blue day, crashing down behind the cross of Jesus as he lies there and dies. I have heard claps of thunders that were so loud that the whole ground shake as we were whipping the person who played Jesus. I have seen all this happen and should for some reason to this day know that God is real, but I still doubt. I've seen so many of this. I just don't know why I doubt. At the end of the passage of today's scripture, it says, Jesus says to those, after Thomas has had this uh, a many, he says, blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. My Lord, my God, blessed are those who have seen but not believed, who have not seen but have believed. This is the basis of Christianity. This is why it was written, and this is why this story in the Bible is important. We were saved so that we could pass this hope in times of doubt. So as Leon sang earlier, what could I be, who and could I be this person? Absolutely. But how can I respond when I feel a doubt comes over me? As Thomas did, my Lord, my God. So in conclusion, I'll call the worship team up here. In conclusion, as scripture has stated today, we are blessed to be able to know and have this personal relationship with a Savior who we have not seen, yet has saved us from this doubt. I personally was challenged and reminded of how blessed I am to be able to share this message with you all. My prayer is that you will take this to heart and know with confidence and without doubt that God is real. Jesus has risen from the grave. I would like to challenge you all to meditate and reflect upon what was spoken today and that it will be a comfort to you throughout the coming days. Jesus is our companion. He is our faith and our hope, and we need it the most at this time of life right now. All we have to do is call upon his name, my Lord and my God. The scriptures say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except for through me. Doubt is just a, a tool that the enemy has placed upon us to make, build us up with fear and to turn our backs on Christ's King. But Jesus came and conquered it. All we have to do is no fear that Jesus is here and God is with us my Lord and my God. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. My Lord, my God.